What did you expect? Welcome, Sonny. Make yourself at home. Marry my daughter. You've got to remember that these are just simple farmers. These are people of the land. The common clay of the New West. You know, morons. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where it's time to fill the gun bag in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 43, which begins with Nux taking advantage of the war rig's slow acceleration. And it ends with each of the wives giving Max the evil eye. Joining us this week to help us find all of the guns hidden in and around the war rig is Alan Sanders from the Wilder Ride podcast. Hey guys, thanks a lot for uh, inviting me along in this post-apocalyptic journey of yours. We are happy to have all the company we can manage. Certainly. And especially someone of your calendar, because you are one of those radio guys that also <laughs> podcasts. That is true. I do have a radio show. I do a, uh, I do more of the talk radio. A lot of people think I'm a DJ. No, more talk radio, news talk, do a little sports. But uh, I also podcast as a way of rehabilitating myself from too much news and too many current events. <laughs> And for the last year or so, I think it's only a year or so, that you've been working with Walt Murray to produce The Wilder Ride. That is correct. We actually talked about doing it at the beginning of January 2018, and our first episode of Season 1 went live on March 25th of 2018, so we're coming up on our one-year anniversary of the first episode. Oh, well, happy birthday. I guess early happy birthday. Yeah, well, depending when this airs, it's going to be well after, but yeah. Oh, that's right. We're recording it in March, but we're dropping it in June. Oh, we're in June already? We're in June already. Time flies. <laughs> well, congratulations. Now, you were telling us off the air before we started recording that you watched this movie in its entirety just recently. Yeah, I know we were still working on what dates you would actually bring us on, so I didn't have anything locked in my calendar and my daughter, my oldest, who was getting ready to graduate from the University of Georgia in Athens in May, she was home for the weekend. We had my other daughter's home. We were doing a kind of a combined birthday celebration and she was going to spend the night. The others had to go back. And I said, well, let's watch a movie. And she said, well, what do you want to watch? And I was thinking, well, let's watch one of the Marvel movies. And She's like, no, can we watch a funny movie? And I was like, well, no, I don't want to watch a funny movie. I want to watch an action. And we were arguing. I was like, you know what? Forget it. Unless you want to watch Fury Road. She goes, oh, yeah, Fury Road. <laughs> and the cool thing about this, my wife and I went to go see Fury Road in the theater when it first came out. And my wife actually started coming down with a headache. And halfway through the movie, she couldn't enjoy it. I mean, because it was just, it kept getting worse and worse. Mm. And I was not enjoying it because, as you know, being married, when your significant other is not having a good time, you start worrying more about her than you worry about yourself. And I started to miss out. So I kind of didn't pay as much of attention to the movie the first time. So my oldest daughter at the time was coming back home over the summer. And I said, well, I want to go see this again. I missed it. She goes, oh, cool. Can I go with you? So it's sort of like been that father daughter thing with my oldest that we just went to go see it. And now we've probably watched it on Blu-ray about five times, including now six this last time together. Oh, fun. When Fury Road first came out, I think we only saw it in the theaters once together. Yeah, I only saw it in the theater once. I think you went with some friends. I think so. To go see it. I think the second round was with me. I always appreciate people who can remember things from several years ago because I sure as hell can't. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, my remembering device is called Susan, and she's my wife. <laughs> she's my rememberer, my events coordinator, my party planner, my work provider, list maker. I mean, basically, she does everything. I just, yes, ma'am. That's a lot of what I spend my day doing is yes, ma'am. <laughs> it's always nice having someone in the house that has their head screwed on straight. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, this movie spoke to me in some ways, and we'll probably get to it over the course of the next few minutes, but I am the only male in my household. I got a wife and four daughters. Two are mine from my first marriage. Two are hers from her first marriage, but I've known her kids. They were still fairly young, so they all call me dad. So I feel like Max right now in this truck on our way to a family vacation. This is exactly how every trip to wherever we went was. Everybody making fun of me. I'm trying to just like keep all the weapons out of everybody else's hands and try to keep the peace. (laughs) That is perfect. (laughs) So as we start off today's minute, we reconnect with Nux, who is running after the war rig. And I love this opening shot specifically because it's a continuation of what we were looking at on Friday, where we started off with just the rig on the flat earth. We can see the horizon in the background and it's starting to roll. And as we start today, in runs Nux. And back when we were talking to the fantastic Mr. Fox kids, we talked about like, oh, Max tied to the front of the Nux car. It looks like a Wes Anderson shot. This also reminds me of a Wes Anderson shot. I'll have to take your word for it. (laughs) Having not seen, I don't think, a single. Well, wait a minute. I might have seen only one Wes Anderson movie in my life. You know how sometimes you just gravitate towards certain filmmakers? Mm -hmm. For some reason, that one has always slipped by me. I think what it is for me is the fact that the camera is stationary and it's the war rig moving across the frame. And then just the tiny little figure of Nux appears and is just running as fast as his one shoed self can take him to catch up to this rig. And it's really a good advantage for him that he's able to catch up because just the war rig is so big and heavy. It's going to take forever to accelerate anyway. Right. Yeah, he really lucked out. He's not in good shape. I don't know how he ran to catch up to this rig. Well, he's got all that fresh blood in him still from, like, the chase yesterday. This is true. (laughs) If anything, he should be in better shape than Max. Right. (laughs) Max is still drained, and he's waiting for... Was I supposed to get, like, an orange juice and a cookie or something after (laughs) donating all this blood? So much orange juice. So many cookies. (laughs) One thing I really appreciate about Nux, because we see him running in the distance and then we get up right behind him as he's going. And I like how he's taken all of this excess chain that he's dealing with and he's tucked it into his belt. That way it's not trailing along behind him. Yeah, Nux has a good strategic mind. He continues to exhibit that throughout the rest of the movie. And we have seen hints of it so far, including the chain. Yeah. The only time I think he really slips up is when he's got stage fright. When his boss can see him. <laughs> right. Yeah, I believe that happens in some later minutes that I don't know anything about. <laughs> when he calls him mediocre. So Nux is able to jump onto the back of the fuel pod. He's good for now. We're going to leave him behind because we are going to jump into the rig where we see that Max is sitting there with his gun trained on Furios and the other wives trying to keep them from doing anything funny. And Max has got the file in the back of his muzzle and he's starting to think okay i've already pulled one gun out from underneath the dashboard i should probably find some way of storing all of them instead of just sitting on them so he reaches into the back seat grabs a brown bag and shakes all the stuff out so that he can pile things in there 
Well, I was trying to figure out based on the angle of this shot. It almost looked initially like he was grabbing a bunch of white fabric initially before he gets to the bag. Because when he finally pulls the bag up to the front seat, it's now just like a big giant carpet bag full of crap that he's dumping out. But it really looks like he's got some white stuff. It actually even tangles around the front of his Glock for just a second. Yeah, the wives have all this extra fabric. And a few minutes ago, we saw Toast pick it up when they were ordered to grab anything and start running after the rig. So we know that they have all this extra fabric. And as they were climbing into the rig, we saw a couple of them put it around their shoulders like shawls. And Toast actually made the scarf that she's wearing out of this extra fabric that they have. I didn't know if this was just something in the bottom or if, it, if this white stuff was also supposed to be coming out of the carpet bag. Obviously, it's tied to the ladies because they're all the only ones pretty much all in white. Yeah, like as I was saying, there's still a bunch of extra fabric. And the carpet bag, which is new to us, we have not seen this before. It was underneath the fabric. So he had to get that out of the way. He probably didn't know the bag was there. He was probably looking for stuff what's in this cab yeah so the fabric was covering something probably on purpose so he pulled it out of the way yeah i couldn't really see what was in the bag to start because he's shaking it so vigorously but i'm pretty sure i saw a thermos so this might be furiosa's carry-on yeah that makes a lot of sense (laughs) yeah there's no overhead compartments to store it in so she's got to leave it on the floor in the back seat Mm -hmm. that makes sense (laughs) it does look like there's just some miscellaneous bric-a-brac in there if you can manage to pause it perfectly at about second 14 you've got that cylindrical object that i can't tell if it's a thermos or if it's just a a wrapped up bundle of of maybe food or something and like i don't know what all of this stuff is but it just basically comes piling out doesn't look like a lot of supplies if they were planning to make this escape to you know the greenlands i imagine that Every time an Imperator hops in a war rig, and this might just be the one war rig, I don't know if we ever truly get an exact inventory of everything the Citadel has, but when an Imperator goes to drive the rig, they probably have their little to-go bag. Maybe it's got a bag of snacks, maybe something to drink. If you're going on a road trip, you want to have something to munch on as you're going, right? Keep your energy up. I would think. (laughs) I don't think she could run the risk of packing extra. Hmm. Because if she packed extra, it might be noticed. Uh, Draw attention to the overall plan she had of trying to smuggle the wives out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why are you packing five or six sandwiches instead of just one Furiosa? Are you planning on eating a lot on your journey? And she'd have to be like, oh, yeah, I'm super hungry, you guys. I just got to bring all this extra food. (laughs) I don't think it would go over well, especially because this is supposed to be a day trip. Right. It's just supposed to be a simple run. As Max is grabbing stuff away from the wives, the dag leans forward and she hisses something at Max and she calls him a smeg. Now, just for our people that love what words are, (laughs) uh, smeg is short for smego, which is a combination of shed skin cells, skin oils, and moisture that forms around mammalian genitalia. So chew on that if you're on your morning commute. Don't chew on that. (laughs) Don't chew on that. No. I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but I know the series on TV, The Red Dwarf, back in 88, used smeg a lot as a sort of fill-in-the-blank swear word that you can get away with on TV. Julia, because you love references back to the earlier movies, you'll probably remember back in Road Warrior, one of the Lord Humongous's uh, subgroups. Yep, they were called the Smegma Crazies. So there's established lore surrounding this phrase. Ah. And actually... The dag, in a few moments, is going to expound upon her insult 
and she's going to call him a crazy smeg, which is a play on the smegma crazies. Mm. I did check the screenplay for The Road Warrior to see if there's any sort of description about that particular group of people, and there really isn't, other than they were the ones who were driving the modified buggies, which seems a bit similar to the buzzards. Yeah. Driving the modified buggies. So at this point, I doubt that there is any information left about these old roving gangs, Mm. but maybe... The Smegma Crazies are the ancestors, if you will, of the Buzzards. Yeah. Maybe a crazy offshoot group that didn't want to stay put. Mm. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. We'll go with that because we got nothing else, right? Yeah. You know, when you don't have a series like Star Wars that explains every little thing in excruciating detail over wikis and extended universe books, sometimes you just got to fill in blanks where you can. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I'm just, again, I I wanted to make sure I looked up the definition of smegma because I remember this as a kid, you know, laughing at this, but I'm always going to go back to, because my wife used to say this occasionally, she'd be like, it's a thick cheese-like consistency. So when you're being called something that's like a thick cheese-like consistency that comes from your nethers, it's not exactly a compliment, is it? Certainly not. You crazy smeg. Oh. (laughs) But she goes even one step further. I mean, that's not all she says. I mean, it's, it's, it's a longer line that she says. Oh, yeah. Max takes the bag, tosses it on the floor, and then he starts collecting weapons from around the rig. And this is where I get to spend all of my time on the Internet Movie Firearms database. <laughs> Thank God for that, right? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Because the first gun he grabs is right above Furiosa. That's a Smith & Wesson Model 10. It's a classic police revolver. It's not the exact same type of revolver that Max and Goose had back in the first movie, but it's close enough. And then the second thing he grabs is what is described on the website as a rare CBC 410 shotgun pistol. Now, 410 is an interesting thing because the 410 bore shell is pretty close to the 45 caliber shell. So it's actually a pretty versatile firearm because it would allow you, in theory, to use either one. And the 410 shells can often be put into revolvers that have uh, longer barrel chambers. I can't remember the exact word for them off the top of my head. Or like derringers. And so you can have a shotgun shell in a tiny little package thanks to this 410 bore. And then, speaking of shotguns, Max also reaches behind the chair and grabs his double barrel shotgun away from toasts and tosses that in the bag unfortunately even though it's such an iconic weapon for max to hold this is the last time we really see it because it doesn't factor into any of the future fights probably because they don't have the specific ammo for that gun or they want to use it in guns that can fire more than two shots at a time yeah a handheld double barrel shotgun is great for within about 10 feet of your subject after that it doesn't have as much use the spray of the shotgun shell is just going to go way too far to be really effective. Yeah. So having grabbed everything within reach, Max points to something hanging just behind Furiosa on the frame, and he snaps at it because he wants the wives to hand it to him. And all I'm thinking is, please, would go a long way in this situation. Use your words, Max. Yeah. I hope that Tom Hardy felt like <laughs> doing that. <laughs> because that is... Probably the rudest thing in this movie. Well, you know, I tried that at home a couple of times. I was like, honey, get over there. And uh, yeah, I was in traction for about a week. (laughs) Because all you've got to do is just say, 
I would like to have the gun that is hanging on the wall over there. Please hand it to me. Max is not usually that wordy, though. He only has 52 total lines in this entire script. He can't waste that many words here. <laughs> Very true. He's got a little fuel gauge and he's like, I, oh, mm, I think a, a couple of snaps on my fingers is a little more effective than trying to have an entire sentence here. I, I actually, in terms of just trying to stay in control, trying to act like he's got the upper hand on everybody, it is sort of a demeaning thing to do, but it's also trying to say, set himself up as I'm the one in charge here. You are going to snap too when I snap my fingers. And Max has never behaved like that before. I think this is out of character. I think he's used up too much of his word quota earlier in the movie. He doesn't need to use words. He could point <laughs> and grunt. That would be better than pointing and snapping his fingers. Oh, yes. On the flip side, I love it. I love how very quickly with just two with snap, then snap, snap. And you see their reaction. It's like, don't you snap at me. It says so much with just that one little you know, snap of the fingers that he's struggling for some kind of control because he hasn't been in control since the beginning of the movie. He's trying to get away. He doesn't want to be with these women, I don't think. He's just sort of there because he's got no choice at this point. I know you say it's not in character, Julia, but based on everything he's been through, including being a blood bag, being brought through the middle of a sandstorm, I think he's a little on edge right now. Plus, the snap sets up the wives perfectly for each one of them to display how they're reacting. Because we start off with Ang Herod. She is sitting there and she says very specifically, you don't have to do it just because he tells you. And we get to see an example of how each of the wives are handling this situation. Ang Herod has not lost her defiant streak, even though she was grazed by a bullet. So good for her. The dag seems a bit, I don't know, uh, I use the words resigned and resentful. Toast is logically cynical and Cheeto is unsure and afraid. Those are my assessments. Julia, what do you think? That sounds pretty good to me. The dag is hard to characterize. Yeah. Because what we've seen from her so far and then what we see of her otherwise in this minute, I wouldn't call her resigned. She's pretty saucy. Mm -hmm. So she's hard to categorize. Hmm. But everybody else, I think you're spot on. Now, Alan, you've raised daughters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Have you ever had a situation where they've sort of ganged up on you like this? Every day. <laughs> every minute of every hour of every day. And <laughs> this is just, I think it just happens that way. I don't think they mean anything by it, but I think they gain power with each other because the minute one of them says something smarmy or snarky or sarcastic, the other one says, oh, yeah, well, I can top that. Oh, yeah, well, I can top that. So the whole sister thing of trying to, like, figure out who's the funniest in the room and who can be the snarkiest, who can say the, you know, the whatever phrase to cause the most, you know, score the most hits or points. Mm -hmm. They're all trying to outdo each other. And yet it's all at my expense. So <laughs> it's it, it is what it is. Every now and then they know how to get underneath my skin. I, I'm pretty resilient to them. I'm like, whatever. But. Every now and then they know how to, like most kids, they know how to push your buttons to the point where you're just like, all right, that's it. I'm done. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a very good reason why later on this week, Max is the one to volunteer to go out and check on the fuel pod. But we'll get to that <laughs> when we get to it for sure. The main thing that we see in this little reaction between, oh, what choice does she have? And he's not going to hurt us. He needs us. This little tossing back and forth is we hear Cheeto pipe up for the first time. And she asks, do you think he's going to the green place? And of course the dag is like, never, but 
since we've heard Cheeto speak for the first time, this is our chance to get to know the actress who plays her. Cheeto the Fragile is played by Courtney Eaton. She was born January 6th, 1996 in Bunbury, Western Australia, making her the youngest of the actresses portraying the wives in this movie. She studied at Bunbury Cathedral Grammar School. Her father, Stephen Eaton, is an IT manager and Australian of English descent, and her mother is a New Zealander of Chinese Maori and Cook Islander ancestry. Eaton was spotted by Christine Fox, head of Vivian's Models, in a fashion graduation at age 11. Fox signed Eaton up with her father's blessing and prepared her to model at age 16. She took part in an acting workshop with Miles Pollard as part of her modeling development, which led her to audition in Sydney for Mad Max Fury Road. Before being in the movie, Courtney wasn't familiar with the series and was actually encouraged to go out for the role by her father, who was himself a big fan of the movie. Since making her film debut in Fury Road, she's gone on to act in several other productions, including two shorts, and is still working today. I can totally picture that conversation at home. Like, oh yeah, they want me to audition for this movie. I've never heard of it. Mad Max. I don't know if I want to. <laughs> right. And her father, like, freaking out. No, you have to. You have to. Mad Max. Seriously? Him sitting at the kitchen table, sipping a cup of tea, and then she mentions Mad Max and just sprays the tea all over the kitchen table. <laughs> yeah, we, we get the obligatory spit take up. What? <laughs> Courtney Eaton's top four movies on IMDb include this movie, Fury Road. She was also in Gods of Egypt in 2016 alongside... Abby Lee, who plays the Dag, and I was looking at the cast list for Gods of Egypt, and I think we might have to watch it because Bruce Spence is also in that movie. So there are now three Mad Max actors in that movie, so we might have to watch it at some point. If it wasn't for Bruce Spence, I would not allow you to put that on the table, but <laughs> Bruce Spence really pushes it over the edge for me. I'll watch pretty much anything that he's in. The other two movies in her top four include something called Live which is in post-production. She plays a character named Ava Brooks and 2018's Perfect, where she plays Sarah. Mad Max really caught her on the edge of her modeling career. Oh, yeah. Like I said, she is the youngest of the wives, and this was her first foray into feature filmmaking. And I got to say, if you're just getting started out as an actress, being shipped off to Namibia to film in the middle of the desert, that's quite a trial by fire. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, I think it actually gets easier from here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> you know, one of the guns we didn't talk about that he has, and I don't know how much you guys are into, you know, personal firearms, but the Glock is my overall favorite make of, of handgun. And the reason I like it, besides how it feels uh, in the hand, you should always make sure that you're comfortable. But this is a Glock 17, which is a very standard nine millimeter gun. What I love about Glocks and I saw this on a YouTube video and it helped make up my mind as to what kind of firearms that I was going to use for home self-defense. They buried a Glock in the ground. This guy just did it for the fun of it, took a Glock, buried it in dirt for two years, just left it in the ground, then took it out and did nothing but rinse it with water. Didn't clean it outside of just running a hose over it. <laughs> then brought all of his buddies to this outdoor range and they put 500 rounds nonstop over and over and over without cleaning it, without doing anything. And it fired. And that's kind of like Glock claim to fame that it's like lasts forever. And so, you know, we, I heard people go, oh, wait a minute. She had that Glock on the outside of the war wagon and it was all sealed in there with all that dust and all that dirt. It would never fire. No, that is Glock's claim to fame. 
that is exactly why you would buy, why buy a gun like that. That's why a lot of police officers use Glocks because they just don't ever jam. They don't break. <laughs> They're too legit to quit. As for the gun that Cheeto is currently handing Max, that is a Luger P08, and the revolver that he pulls from behind the passenger seat, that's a Webley 445 Mark IV. It's a break-action revolver that we're going to see come into play when Joe catches up to the war rig after the canyon scene, so look forward to that one. Excellent. As for the dag being cheeky, <laughs> we mentioned this earlier, now we're to it. She mentions that Max is a crazy smeg who eats schlanger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know he swung that way. <laughs> now, Julia, you looked up the whole schlanger thing. Yeah, it's old. It's an old Australian ockerism for a penis. Of course. And then I had to look up ockerism as well. An ocker is an Australian who speaks and acts in a rough or uncultivated manner using a broad Australian accent. Okay. So basically, it's Australian for redneck. Gotcha. <laughs> That's why you wanted Walt. <laughs> we needed our authentic redneck to join in on the conversation. So I jumped on the Facebook Messenger, and I was talking to Mark Sexton, and I said, hey, Mark, could you explain this whole schlanga thing to me? And he said, and I quote, it's pretty much a distortion of schlong. And... Looking up the word on Google, if you drop the R to just be schlang, I guess, um, it's German for the word snake. I'm sure it's pronounced better when it's actually said by a German because they'd have the proper accent to go with it. But the idea still stands. That all makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I got to do a tie in here okay. because we over at the Wilder Ride, we've done two of the Mel Brooks movies that just happen to be also Gene Wilder movies. Mel Brooks loves using Yiddish. We've been dealing with some of our scenes where his portrayal of the Indian chief is a mishmash of Yiddish and American. Schlong is actually a Yiddish term for penis. Oh, speaking of German terms, later on in that movie, you also have Lily von Stupp use another euphemism. Oh, yeah. Schnitzengruben. There you go. <laughs> I couldn't quite remember exactly what it was. I was leaning very heavily on you, that one. Oh, yeah, but we, we limit it to just 15. <laughs> unless i get more vitamin e <laughs> sorry <laughs> do you find yourself doing that when you are like knee deep in one of these movies you're like in the recording you think of everything you've already mentally digested and packed in your head and you just find every excuse now to, to, to impress people with all this knowledge yes <laughs> all the time <laughs> It's my way of promoting the podcast. Right. Because at work, we'll be talking about something and I'll have like a random fact. I'll be like, I know that because of Mad Max Minute. You should go listen to it. <laughs> Max doesn't really react to being called names. I think he's spent too long in the desert for that sort of thing. And we get a shot of Furiosa and she's initially looking at the top of the shifter. And then mm -hmm. she moves her gaze up to Max. And I think this is our first clue. This is our Chekhov's gun moment, that there's more to this shifter than meets the eye. Yeah, and I also like, because of the way the camera angle is, it almost forces you to see it in the bottom of the frame. Even if you don't know if she's looking directly at it or to him, the shifter is at the bottom of the frame as well. Mm -hmm. And it's almost center. And if I'm sure you've covered this, but I know George Miller kept saying the whole time to the cinematographer, keep all the action in the center of the screen because I don't need the audience's eye moving all over the place. So you can't help but see it because it's dead center just toward the bottom of the screen. 
Exactly. If you're going to have high energy frenetic action, make it easy to follow. I would just like to point out that there is a knife on the doorframe that Max didn't get. Really? Yeah. The doorframe on Furiosa's side, like in front of her, there's a knife right there. And I don't see Max grab it. I mean, maybe he does and we don't see it. That's fine. But it's there. I don't think the knife ever actually comes into play, so... I guess everybody forgets about it. I guess so. <laughs> I'm re-watching it as well. Do you have like around what second you can get a glimpse of the knife in the door? Or did you see it earlier and realize he never grabbed it? Earlier. You can see it clearly okay. in earlier minutes. Okay, because I'm times. like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because <laughs> I wasn't watching those minutes. I was watching these. Max is definitely more interested in getting his hands on more weapons. He pulls a very funny looking gun it sort of looks like an old pirate blunderbuss sort of thing but nope that's a webley and scott number one mark three signal pistol that files one inch flares yeah it's likely similar to the ones used to launch the flares that we saw back in minute 19 that's probably a very standard sort of thing that all of the war boys have because sometimes you just need to call for reinforcements you gotta let people know when you've got a rogue imperator on the road exactly you brought up about, you know, you don't know how many others there are, but they make a point of saying we've got a rogue Imperator earlier in the film. So mm. it has to mean that there's more than one Imperator as a class or as a role in this world now. Yeah, there's definitely more than one individual with the title of Imperator. I wasn't quite sure how many war rigs they have. Right. But pretty much all of the guys that aren't painted white that have the black on their forehead, I think all of them have been, I guess, promoted from Warboy to Imperator, perhaps. I know that there are different, uh, like there's a High Imperator, there's a Prime Imperator, there's Furiosa, there's all of them. See, I've never read any of the comic books that were sprung up either for some the, the precursors to help explain the rise of a Morton Joe or, the, or afterwards. Hmm. I wasn't quite sure if the Imperator was given to those who had not succumbed or don't have some form of cancer where all the war boys all seem to be suffering from some kind of debilitating cancer that's going to kill them sooner rather than later. And maybe they don't want to invest the kind of responsibilities of an imperator to somebody who may only be around for a few years. Yeah. I'm willing to bet that despite all of our speculation about, Oh, it's a victory thing. It could also just be a genetic thing. If the organic mechanic determines that you're not going to die in a couple of years from leukemia, then congratulations, you've just been promoted. I mean, that's how I took it when I was watching the movie, you know, that because she doesn't talk about having any kind of diseases or boils, there's there's nothing on her that we see on all the other war boys. Although I do find it interesting. None of the women seem to have any kind of the disease. It's, it seems like all the men in the movie are the, all the, all the ones that are rotting and bad. <laughs> Well, these women are here because they don't have any diseases. But even the, all the women that were milking themselves earlier yeah. when they do that shot, I, you don't see any makeup of boils or lumps or anything on well, them. Well, again, yeah. it's because they're there because they don't have any. Yeah, if you've gone up the elevator, it's because you're healthy. All of the people down below, if you're not healthy, you get to stay down with the wretched. Well, only the women that are healthy because there's a lot of unhealthy dudes up there. That's true. Yeah, That's true. but the men aren't there to procreate. No, you don't see any war boys hooked up to any of those type of machines, thankfully. And uh, <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> as we round out to the end of this minute, we get that shot of all the 
wives sitting in the backseat and they are glaring at Max because he is unwelcome in this situation. He is a literal monkey wrench in the system. And as the war rig rolls along, we crest a ridge and we're heading down towards a canyon in the distant cliffs, which is going to be the setting of our next big action scene. But here at the end of Monday, Alan, where can people find more of your stuff that you make online? The best place is we are known as the Wilder Ride. We called it that because rather than being part of a franchise like you guys, where you get to stick within one world, we decided to do the films of Gene Wilder. So that's the name, the Wilder Ride. Last season, we did Young Frankenstein. We are in the midst. Actually, we are getting close to wrapping up as this comes out. Season two, where we're looking at the film Blazing Saddles. You can go to the WilderRide.com. It's the Wilder Ride everywhere. Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. We even have a Patreon page if you want to come on over and be a, a financial supporter or if you want to get some additional content, that's a cool place to find us. And as for us, we'll be coming back on Wednesday. The War Rig is going to head on towards this rocky canyon. Furiosa is going to notice a new war party on the horizon and we get our first look at the People Eater. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 43 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.